You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. I'm a Seamus, a gumshoe, a private eye, what you will. Some people say with a name like mine, it's no wonder. Of course, I once knew a man named Friendly who stabbed six people, and a girl named Hero who fainted at the first sign of danger, so not everyone chooses to self-apply the identity their birth certificate thrust upon them. Besides, if I wrote it Jonathan J. Justice, I'd have made a swell lawyer, and J.J. Justice sounds like a newspaper man to me. So it all comes down to how you wear your hat. Me, I wear mine pulled low to shield my baby blues from the afternoon sun as I slide my way into the office, the brim slowly releasing the cloud of smoke it accumulates as I wait for the antique elevator to consider carrying me to the third floor agency digs. That's how it happens most every day, except the part about the afternoon. Today, seeing the light glowing behind the frosted glass that read Jack Justice Investigations, I knew I had miscalculated. She was already there. Well, well, the late Mr. Justice. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, are we? We are. It took some doing, but we are. I thought you were on the Rosen case. Wrapped it up neat and tidy about 11.30 last night. She paid cash. Good job, Trixie. You closed the case, drove across town, got a luxurious six-hour sleep, and made it in to open the office four and a half hours before I bothered to show up. Yeah, she paid cash. Swell. I got a decent night's sleep for once and only had to endure 20 seconds of sass mouth. I didn't mean to imply that I was finished. Ah. Seriously, Jack, what if a client had called? Did they? That's not the point. No, they didn't, Jack. You're right again. And you certainly do look dashing today. Pinch yourself, bright eyes. You're still in dreamland. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. In fact, I'd close the Rosen case around 7.30 and had a late dinner with the agent assigned by the insurance company. Six foot four, not a thought in his pretty little head. But that wasn't the point. Jack hadn't worked with a partner since before the war, and I wasn't about to let him start treating me like the help. Truth be told, I hadn't missed him much, and if it weren't for the fact that he makes a mean pot of coffee, I'd have been just as happy if he didn't come in at all. It was the principle of the thing, and a girl's got to have principles. Well, the sun's up, anyway. Well, the sun's up. What are you smiling about? Smiling? Moi? I don't know what you mean. The evasion was cheap, which suggested that the story was, too. I perched on the edge of my desk, pushed back my hat on my head, and curled my lips into as warm a smile as I could manage without disturbing my cigarette. I'd been grilled often enough to know how to dish it out, too. Just then, the door opened, and a little man stepped in. He seemed momentarily surprised by the lack of a plush waiting room full of nubile secretaries, but he was polite enough to hide it. Is this Jack Justice Investigations? Is the sign on the door too subtle? I'm sorry? Please don't be. You're in the right place, all right. Won't you step in, Mr... Spratt. Benjamin Spratt. Pull up a chair, Mr. Spratt. I'm Jack Justice. This is my associate, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. I'm very glad to know you. Yes. Yes, I believe you'll do nicely. Thanks. I don't hear enough of that. Forgive me. You did some work about six months ago for a gentleman of my acquaintance. Martin Anderson? Oh, yes. He spoke most highly of your work at the time... In particular, I recalled him saying that your firm consisted of two detectives, one male, one female, who might pass for a couple. I'm sorry, Miss Dixon, did I cause you to win? She's all right. She's just lost in a beautiful daydream. 
Why do you need the his and hers detectives? Uh, to provide security for a reception my wife and I are hosting. What sort of security? Uh, perhaps I should begin at the beginning. Uh, my wife possesses a large and beautiful diamond necklace, which has been in her family for some seven generations. We are hosting a charity ball for the City Fathers Benevolent Fund next Saturday night, and my wife is naturally expected to appear in her full finery, just as her late mother did for years while hosting the same event. It has recently come to my attention that there will be a number of... Uh, oh, how does one say it? I usually say it, punks. But we can say suspicious characters, if you're more comfortable with that. Suspicious characters it is, then. There will be a number of them in attendance, and I fear that all or one of them may be attending for no purpose other than to steal my wife's necklace. And you want us to work it instead of six goons with no necks? Indeed, sir, indeed. My poor wife is positively frantic at the prospect of taking her late mother's traditional role as hostess to fill the room with burly security guards. Oh, no, no, it would never do. Frankly, Mr. Spratt, a thief worth his salt knows how to spot security and to strike when they're not looking. Mr. Justice and I posing as a... Couple? Yes, posing as a couple. We may have a much better chance of preventing a robbery and be a lot less obvious about it, too. That was my feeling exactly. You will take the case, then? There are one or two contractual matters we'll have to deal with. And we'll need to rent Jack a monkey suit. Yeah, my tux is at the cleaners with Trixie's mink. Of course I might have a mink if somebody ever came to work on time. I hope our banter doesn't put you off, Mr. Spratt. Not at all, dear boy. I think my guests could hardly help but assume you to be a bona fide man and wife. And so it came to pass that Jack and I found ourselves on the invite list for one of the swankiest parties of the year. And if blending in so the Spratt's guests didn't know we were on the job meant strolling around the room with a glass of champagne and my lily white paw, nibbling on treats that cost more than I made in a week, well, that's a sacrifice I was prepared to make. Of course, I was going with Jack, but into every life a little rain must fall. This is off to a slow start. Relax, square jaw. Haven't you ever heard the term fashionably late? I had four brothers and two sisters. Fashionably late meant your dinner's been eaten. Just try to look slightly less hard-boiled, would ya? I thought I cleaned up pretty good. Well, the suit's fine, just... I don't know. Grimace a little less. Don't spend too much energy impressing these society types. They're not worth it. Is that a rain cloud over my parade? Oh, no, it's just Jack. Hi, Jack. Just try to remember that we're the help. Justice, you really know how to make a girl feel like a princess. Hold the phone, your majesty. Recognize the suit at the door? Jack, it can't be. It's Marty Callahan. It was Callahan, all right. One of the most notorious and slippery crooks in town. Callahan was everybody's idea of the gentleman burglar. Stole only the best. Mostly paintings for an elite clientele. Mrs. Spratt's diamond necklace was a little off his beaten path, but it didn't take much to guess he was on our client's list of suspicious characters. Trouble was, Callahan and I go way back. I sent him up on the only charge that's ever stuck, even if he did plead it down to receiving stolen goods. The happy couple routine was out the window already. I was just starting to sort out how to play this when I realized the tugging sensation at my sleeve was actually Trixie, eyes agog in the direction of a new face. Tell me that's not who I think it is. You want me to tell you it's not Claudette Brodeur? Please. Sorry, dollface, no can do. Claudette Brodeur, lady jewel thief extraordinaire. I'd wondered if she'd quit the business or if it quit her. Seeing her walk in the Spratt's front door in a dress that could stop traffic, I knew it was none of the above. She'd started her career with a seduce and steal routine that she dropped when she learned how to take what she wanted without getting pawed. She still had it, though. I wondered if the dreambot on her arm was a partner or a prop. 
She caught me staring out of the corner of her eye. I tried to duck, but I knew I'd been made. I saw her blood turn cold. Looks like Mr. Spratt had been right to be worried. The deep end of the talent pool just kept getting deeper. And from the way Jack's eyes were fixed out on the balcony, I guessed we'd had a swimmer in another lane. Eli Meinrich. Seller of unique and precious heirlooms by day. Stealer of unique and precious heirlooms by night. Meinrich wasn't as subtle as Brodeur or Callahan, but he had a network at his fingertips that could dispose of just about anything ten fingers could pinch and do it without a trace. He spotted Trixie and I from across the room. He smiled and raised a glass to us. His smile was surprised but condescending. I felt a sudden urge to slap it off his face. I left Trixie to keep one eye on Brodeur and the other on Callahan and hope they didn't move around too much and make the poor girl cross-eyed. Hello, Jackie boy. Eli. Swell party, ain't it? Mm-hmm. Shame how they let just anyone in. It certainly is. I was talking about you. So was I. <laughs> Jackie, I've missed you. You haven't come around to see me in ages. You haven't tried to kill one of my clients in ages. You should be honored. You should be incarcerated. <laughs> Tell me, how is the little lady? I called her that once. Remind me to show you the scar. What are you doing here, Meinrich? You don't seem like the charity ball type. I shouldn't have thought so either, Jackie, but someone obviously doesn't agree with us. What do you mean? I was invited, dear boy. Invited to buy a ticket, admittedly, but you can imagine my surprise. I'm sure I can write it off. Business expense. Something like that. And you, Jackie, how did Lord and Lady Flatfoot find their way to the domain of the Hoi Polloi? Never mind that. Just keep your mitts off the Spratt diamonds, hear me? Oh, so it's like that. You needn't worry, Jackie. Plenty of other fish in the sea. Besides, nasty, gaudy, think that necklace. Only fit to be broken up and sold as individual gems. Perhaps six or seven nice tiaras might be made of it. A moot point, Eli, because I'm on the job. And while I am, nothing's going to happen to Mrs. Spratt's necklace. Hey, who turned out the lights? I had to say it. Everybody stay calm. I'm sure the lights will be back in a moment. Ah, see? There we are. Nothing at all to worry about. My diamonds! When the lights were off, someone has stolen my diamonds! Nobody move! The spirit diamonds have been stolen! You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. The detective business isn't much like any other you can name. When it's slow, it's slower than slow. Things that have stopped dead fly past you and wave. But by gosh, things happen in a heck of a hurry once they start happening. Jack had crossed the room to talk to Eli Meinrich, leaving me to watch two other definite suspects and a room full of also-rans. Impossible. I pulled it off for a few minutes, then lost Marty Callahan in a crowd near the big staircase that led up to the Spratt Mansion. Claudette Brodeur made things a little easier for me. She and the bohunk on her arm were on the dance floor not six feet away from Mrs. Spratt. This made it easier to keep an eye on both of them. Claudette kept shooting terrified glances my way while playing it cool for tall, dark, and handsome, who only had eyes for her. I decided whatever she was up to, he wasn't in on it. Then the lights went out and panic set in. When the lights came on and Mrs. Spratt realized her loss, Jack went into overdrive. He made a short, rapid-fire announcement in which the word misunderstanding was used nine times, divided the guests into four smaller groups, and hustled them into four separate rooms so fast they didn't know what hit them. 
He barked orders to the staff to pour so much champagne down their throats they wouldn't realize they were locked in right away. And so, in less than four minutes, there was no one left in the big ballroom but three notorious thieves, two angry clients, one hard-boiled hard case, and yours truly. It was a pretty impressive display. And I made darn sure he didn't know I thought so. How long you reckon we can keep this up? Ten minutes, maybe fifteen. Then it's for the law. My diamonds! They've been in my family for generations. My mother, she loved them so much, it'd break her heart if she knew. Take it easy, Mrs. Spratt. I don't understand. Why are we all just standing here? Why don't you do something? We're doing everything possible, Mrs. Spratt, but you have to remain calm. First of all, is there anybody here who objects to a search? Sure, sure, I know you're all innocent. Except one of you isn't. If the cops come in on this, it's trouble. Trouble for all involved. The Sprats don't want this in the papers any more than the rest of you do. It won't just be one name dragged through the mud, you know. It'll be all of you. No. I have no objection to being searched. I have nothing to hide. Neither do I. Swell. I don't expect whoever took the necklace to be stupid enough to still have it on their person, but let's get the obvious out of the way first, shall we? The three of them emptied their pockets with barely a protest. Two of them did so with the ease of a clear conscience. One of them did so with the smooth air of one long practiced in faking a clear conscience. Trouble was, I had no idea which was which and we were running out of time. Naturally, the necklace failed to appear. So our thief, whoever he or she was, had doused the lights, snatched the ice, and disposed of it in just under a minute, which was impressive by anyone's standards. Mr. Spratt, any chance of an inside job? What? I don't know what you're suggesting. I'm suggesting it's a little too impressive for a solo. Any chance one of the servants could have killed the lights? Oh, none. The entire staff has been with us for years. They're extremely loyal. Swell. I lit a cigarette and looked at Trixie. As much as possible, like I already knew the answer and was just testing her. She didn't buy it, but it annoyed her, which was almost as good. Where are the light switches for this room, sir? Why... Over here, behind this curtain. I see. Would you all kindly take the positions you were in just before the lights went out? This is ridiculous! If you object to our methods, Mr. Meinrich, perhaps you'll enjoy those the police employ more. Under the circumstances, I will take my position. You should probably hold it right there, Mr. Callahan. It'd be awfully tough to keep this just between us if you make me shoot you. The lady said to return to where I was when the lights went out. And? He was upstairs, weren't you, Mr. Callahan? You noticed, and how nice. Why? Simply enjoying the party. The party was downstairs. How careless of me. (laughs) Fine. Stand there at the bottom of the stairs where I can see you. They all took their positions like good boys and girls. Mrs. Spratt, still in tears, stepped into the middle of the dance floor with her husband. Miss Brodeur took the nearby position she and the bohunk had occupied. Callahan stood under Jack's watchful gaze, pretending to be upstairs. Meinrich stood just inside the French doors to the balcony. I flicked the light switch off, keeping my hand on it, just in case my hunch didn't pan out. It did. The light spill from the hallway illuminated everyone in silhouette. Very romantic, and not at all the way it looked when the necklace was stolen. I turned the lights back on full before anyone could get cute. Mr. Spratt... Where is the switch for those lights in the hallway? By the front door, my dear. Curiouser and curiouser. What do you mean? She means whatever you might think of your staff's loyalty. One confederate to throw a light switch is plausible. Two is getting unlikely. Are you suggesting the lights didn't go out? I'm suggesting they weren't turned off at the switch. There must be a power box somewhere. Certainly, it's... upstairs. Well, Mr. Callahan? Well, what? If there's something you'd like to say, now's the time. 
If all you did was flip a switch, you'll get off easy. Who's your partner? Brodeur or Meinrich? Come now. This is insulting. You're above such things now? No. He's beneath them. What? Sorry, Trix. It doesn't sit right. Callahan's a master art thief. Playing second string on a jewel job? In a room full of people with at least two detectives? Not the kind of evening you go in for if your hobby's staying out of the pokey. Justice. I knew I could count on you to uphold my honor. This is preposterous. Why else would he be upstairs? Ask Mr. Justice. He knows. He was casing the joint. What? I was admiring the artwork upstairs, actually. Noting its quality, approximate value... Portability. If you like. If the City Father's Benevolent Fund wants to invite notorious criminals into the homes of its wealthy patrons, you can hardly blame us for what is in our very nature. No. The fact remains that the only person close enough when the lights went out was you, Miss Broder. No. No! I'm afraid so. The jewel robbery is right up your old address. It was a little crude by your standards, but you've been out of the business for a while. You're bound to be a little rusty. Which room is your dance partner in? He must have the rocks in his pocket. No. Please. You mustn't. Give me one good reason why not. Because she didn't do it. What? Something didn't sit right since she walked in the door. She never looked at Mrs. Spratt. Not once. Just looked nervous daggers at me and played calm for the bohunk. He doesn't know, does he, Claudette? No. No, he doesn't. I met Paul almost a year ago. He knows nothing about my past. We've traveled the world together. We're to be married in the spring. I was nervous about coming back into town with him. Still more about coming to this party, but we're to leave in the morning. I couldn't have imagined something like this would happen. It usually does when you're around, Angel. Not anymore. I swear it. Oh, please, you must believe me. This is my last chance at happiness. Please. Jack, I believe her. What does it matter? He knows I'm in here being interrogated. He's bound to wonder why. He'll just think you're in one of the other holding rooms. If you are innocent, he'll never need to know a thing. Provided we can wrap this up without the cops. It seems that depends on Mr. Meinrich. Does it? Surely there is but one suspect left. Sure looks that way to me. But Jackie... Save it. Mrs. Spratt, you look pale. Why don't you get some water and lie down? This will all be over in just a few minutes. Thank you, Mr. Justice. Thank you. I will. All right. We got four rooms full of guests and we're out of time. Give. You heard me. Hand over the necklace. Uh, Are you addressing me, sir? How dare you? Don't. There isn't time. People's lives hang in the balance, Mr. Spratt. You were good. Wanted your security to blend in, afraid of creating a scandal or sensation. Trouble is, Callahan was upstairs casing the joint. Brodeur's gone straight. And Meinrich? Eli? Jackie and I were trading insults when the lights went down, Spratt. He didn't trust my nature, and he was just a little faster than I. He grabbed my arm and held it hard. I'm the only person he knows for certain could not have done it. This is outrageous. Why are you prepared to take their word over mine, your own client? It's the invitations, Mr. Spratt. Meinrich said he'd got one. I assumed he was lying. But Callahan said the same thing. Miss Brodeur's presence might be nothing more than coincidence, but the two most notorious thieves in town were solicited to buy a ticket. Why would any member of the committee invite known criminals into your house unless they were trying to create suspects for a crime they were about to commit? And by your own admission, your staff is very loyal. The only person they would have cooperated with was you, Mr. Spratt. Now give. Here, here it is. You, do you dirty little... You don't understand. The money. Almost all gone. 
the value of the stones plus the insurance money. I could have rebuilt my fortune. No one ever would have known. And no one ever will if you can find a better way of doing it. You mean... I mean you're getting a better deal than you deserve. And not because you're a client. You're getting it because other people's freedom's at stake. Other people's happiness. Some of them might not deserve it. But they don't deserve to have it taken away by you. Give your wife the necklace. Tell her I swore you to secrecy. Tell your guests whatever you like. All a misunderstanding. Miss Brodeur, best of luck. Callahan, if any of these paintings go for a walk in the future, I'm coming looking for you. Eli, give me back my wristwatch. <laughs> that. And Spratt, I've got my eye on you. There's a heck of a bill headed your way. Pay it. He did pay it, too. Spratt paid a lot of people in the months that followed, but people born with that many spoons in their mouths are never what you and I would call poor, and never for very long. Meinrich and Callahan went back to their old tricks, though the auction block took most of the Spratt's artwork before Callahan could. Claudette? Never been heard from since, which is just the way she wanted it. Didn't seem quite fair, Spratt getting off as easy as he did, but it bought her a second chance. And justice for all is almost never possible. On a good day, you manage justice for some. Blackjack Justice, Episode 2, Justice for Some, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices provided by Peter Nichol, Leslie Livingston, Shannon Arnold, Dave Kiniston, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. The traffic! That baby! The baboon! That does it! AD, take me away! Lose your cares in the luxury of a warm audio drama. AD softens the calluses on your soul, leaving you feeling silky smooth as it lifts your spirits. The soft, luxurious, and fragrantly sonic world of audio drama. It's like no other aural experience. Audio drama. I love it. Pamper your soul with an audio drama. Nurture yourself in narrative. AD. Now with dynamic panning crystals. Available on the Mutual Audio Network or wherever aural narratives are sold.